<clears throat> Hallelujah. Isn't God wonderful? Aren't you glad you're saved? Praise the Lord. Well, I want to talk with you today about the fact that if we've received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we've been established in redemption. You know, I've taught some lessons and I've talked about being established in righteousness, knowing who we are in Christ Jesus. But you know, one of the areas that I think a lot of Christians struggle with is being established in the redemption, recognizing what Jesus has truly accomplished for them. You know, in, in the garden when Adam and Eve fell, there was a, there was a division. There was a hostility between God and man. And that separation and that hostility is why Jesus came. Jesus came, he died, he was resurrected from the dead, he ascended on high to sit on the right hand of Father God for you and I, that he might restore to you and I our fellowship, our harmony, our relationship with God. And I, I think oftentimes Christians have this idea that there's still this hostility between them and God, that God is mad at them. But I want to assure you of something today. God's not mad at you. God loves you. He loved you so much, loves you so much, that he sent his son Jesus. That if it were only for you, Jesus would have come. Jesus would have died. Jesus would have been buried in that tomb, gone to hell, been resurrected from the dead, for your justification. God did that for you and I. And so the wall between humanity and God has been obliterated. It's been destroyed because of the redemptive work of Jesus. And so that, that redemption now belongs to you and I. To put it in a shorter context, Jesus came to redeem you and I, to fulfill the dream, the desire of the Father. And that desire was that we would be able to have fellowship with Him. You know, we're going to look at this a little bit later on, but, you know, we, we see how in the Old Testament, they had to have a priest, they had to have somebody be a mediator between them and God. Man didn't have access to God. But through our redemption, you know, aren't you glad that when you need to pray, when you need something from God, you don't have to call me and say, Pastor, I need you to fill the gap for me because I need something. I need something right now. Now, there's nothing wrong if you have a need that you call me and ask me to pray for you. But the point is that each and every one of us as born-again Christians, have access to Almighty God because that barrier has been totally destroyed. And so we can come to Him, and we can come to Him to receive whatever it might be that we need. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to the Gospel of John, the 16th chapter. And I'm going to begin to read in the first verse. Jesus died so that he could buy us back from the enemy. If you remember, Jesus spoke to the religious folk, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he said to them, you're of your father, the devil. The reason that he said that was when, when Adam and Eve sold out, this became his kingdom. And you and I, we had to deal with that old nature, that nature of sin, because we were born of that. But when we received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we got a brand new father. We were born again. We came into the kingdom of God. And now our father is Father God. You know, in the Old Testament, and even in the New Testament, we see in the Gospels where 
when Jesus would call Father God his father, they were ready to take him to the edge of the city and they wanted to stone him. And we think, well, they, they, just, they just didn't like the religion. It was because of what he said. Because they didn't have a right to call God Father. Because the terminology of Father is intimacy. And they had no intimacy with God. The Jews had no intimacy with God. There was a separation. Not even the priests, not even the Levites were allowed to God, call God Father because there was this separation. But Jesus, through his death, burial, and resurrection, through Jesus, we were born again. Through that born-again experience, we gained a new father. And so each and every one of us now, we have the right, we have the privilege to approach Father God and call him Father. And you see, it's intimate. It's not this God-subject type of thing. It's this Father-Son type of thing. Now, he is our God. He is our master. And the Apostle Paul talks about how, you know, because he understood the father-son relationship because it's through Paul that we gain an understanding of who we are as the body of Christ, as the church, as children of God. But Paul said, basically, this is paraphrasing what he said, but Paul basically said, even though I am God's child, I take the position of a bondservant. And you see, the, the thing about a bondservant a bondservant doesn't have a choice. We approach the Word of God from this standpoint. What God says, we become a doer of it. Yes, because we're children of God. But also because we've taken that position of bondservant. And we want to we wanna please. We want to satisfy our master. We want to do his bidding. We want to accomplish his will. And so there is that element where we take that position. We live the life that we live because we're children of God. But we also live the life that we live because of the position that we have as a bondservant of Almighty God. We want to represent Him rightly. And so we talk about grace. But we also see that grace doesn't give us a license to live a, a loose lifestyle. Grace empowers us to live for our almighty God. We take that position, and he's glorified through us. So have you found John 16 yet? If you have, let's begin in verse 1. These things, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. These things I have spoken to you, that you should not be made to, to stumble, they will put you out of the synagogue. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that, they're <clears throat> that he offers God's service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the times come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going away to him who sent me. And none of you, and, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And so what he's saying here is, in this life, there's going to be those that are going to look down on you. There are going to be those around you that are going to put you down. There are going to be those around you that try to persecute you, say evil things of you. And he says, it's only natural that they would want to do that because that's what they did to me. You know, oftentimes we, we're tempted to compromise our position in Christ Jesus because there's, there's people that don't like the stand that, they've, that we've taken. 
They look back and they, all they can remember is who we were. They don't want to accept who we are. Who we were isn't what matters. Who we are is what makes the difference. I'm a child of God. I'll have guys all the time that come up to me at the prison and they, they say, well, pastor, you know, <clears throat> I believe that I've committed the unpardonable sin. And I said, really? I says, I can guarantee you something. You haven't. And they said, well, how do you know that? And I says, because you're here. Because you're here to hear the word of God. If you've committed the unpardonable sin, you have no interest in the things of God. You've turned your back on God. But what are they doing? They're basing it on their behavior. They're basing it on something that they had done in the past. But Jesus says that we are a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. That old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I'm going to read on in John 16, verses 8 and 9, but I want to read it out of the Amplified. And it says, when he comes, when Jesus comes, or when the Holy Spirit, excuse me, not Jesus, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict and convince the world and bring demonstration to it about sin and about righteousness, uprightness of heart and right standing with God, and about judgment, about sin, because they do not believe in me. Trust in, rely on, and adhere to me. What's the sin convicted of? I mean, what's the world convicted of? It says sin, singular. The world isn't convicted. The Holy Spirit hasn't come to convict the world of their sinful behavior. The Holy Spirit has come for one purpose, and that's to convict the world of the sin, the sin of rejecting Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Oftentimes we look at our behavior, we look at what we've done in the past, and we think there's no hope for me. There's only one sin that we can, we can uh, commit that will separate us for eternity from God. And that's the sin of rejecting Jesus. Jesus' death allowed us to receive the righteousness that comes from the blood he shed on our behalf. See, it's not about you. It's about the blood of Jesus. It's about the fact that his blood was shed for you and I. And we, when we receive what that blood has accomplished for you and I, we become brand new creations. Redeemed means to be purchased. Another definition is to buy back. We were God's. We were his children. But because of Adam and Eve's sin, we were separated from him. We received a new owner, the enemy that ruled us, that reigned over our lives, that dictated to us. You know, we don't do bad things because we're bad people. We did bad things because we were sinners, and that's what sinners do. They sin. But through Christ Jesus, we've been born again through his blood. We are brand new creations in Christ Jesus. And we don't do good things now because we're such good people. We do good things now because we are a new creation. We are new people in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away and it's paved the way for us to have a whole new life through Christ Jesus. That's the victory that is ours through the completed works of Jesus. We were bought back by Jesus. We were redeemed. You take something and you take it to a pawn shop. Comes to my memory because I watched, what is it, pawn whatever on TV yesterday, and <clears throat> anyway, you shouldn't do that. It just warps you. But anyway, you know, why do people go to a pawn shop? Sometimes they go to sell stuff. But sometimes they go to pawn it. As long as it's in the pawn shop, it doesn't belong to them in a sense. It belongs to the pawnbroker, and if he wants to, he can sell it. 
But you know, when people get enough money and they want to get back what they've pawned, what do they do? They go in and they pay for it. They buy it back. And you know what? It generally costs them more than what it costs in the first place. As a result of Adam and Eve's sin, man died for all of eternity. Jesus came and he gave his life. He died. He gave his all for you and I that we might have life that we might have it more abundantly. That's, it's all about Jesus. It's because of him. And through that redemption, he bought us back from everything that the curse represents. If you go to Deuteronomy 28, and you begin in the 15th verse, and you read it to the end, you see what the curse is. Galatians 3, 13 and 14 says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every man that hangs upon a tree, that we might receive the blessings of Abraham, and that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And so through Jesus, he died on that cross. He gave his life on that tree. He shed his blood so that he might redeem us from the curse of the law. And if you go to Deuteronomy 28 and you begin in the 15th verse and you read it to the end of the chapter, you see what that curse is. It's sickness. It's disease. It's poverty. It's broken relationships. It's losing everything that you have. All of that is part of the curse and we've been redeemed from that through Christ Jesus. And it says that we might receive the blessings of Abraham. And you read the first 14 verses of Deuteronomy 28, and you've not been redeemed from that. It's talking about the blessing, the blessing that belongs to Abraham. It's health, it's wealth, it's, it's, it's positive relationships. All of those things belong to us through Jesus Christ. It was accomplished for you and I. Through Jesus. You know what? <clears throat> we need to get a little more excited about Jesus. Yeah. 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 Hallelujah. Yeah. We need to get a little bit more excited about what Jesus has done for us. But you know what? I think we get into this, we get into this mode, we get into this place where we begin to take everything that Jesus has done for us for granted. We lose our appreciation. We know how that is. We do things and people don't appreciate it because they get accustomed to it. We've become accustomed to His love. Don't get so accustomed to your relationship with Jesus that you don't appreciate what He's done for you. You know, <clears throat> Paul spoke to Timothy who was one of his sons in the faith. He said to Timothy, he said, stir up those gifts that are within you. You know, Paul or Timothy was a pastor, but you know, he had also other gifts. And Paul said those gifts that were imparted into you through the laying on of hands. And maybe you didn't have the laying on of hands in your life. But the moment that you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there were gifts that were imparted into your life. And do you know what? You need to stir them up. The way that we stir those gifts up is through the Word of God. And oftentimes what we do is we don't stir up the gifts of God and then when crisis evolves or comes about in our lives, all at once we're caught off guard. The reason that we're caught off guard is because we didn't stir it up. We stir it up by reading and meditating on the Word of God. We stir up those gifts within us by praying and praying in the Holy Ghost. Stir them up. Because, you know, for each and every one of us, there will come a day that we need the manifestation of those gifts in our life. There will come a day where there will be an attack upon our life. And you know what? I want to be ready for that day. I don't want it to catch me off guard. But you know what happens to us so often? We set the things of God aside until we enter into a crisis in our life, and then we try to catch up. 
You ever realize how hard it is to catch up? We need to, we need to be stirred up. We need to be ready for each and every circumstance that comes our way. And we don't do that in our own strength and in our own ability. We do it through Christ Jesus. We do it through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In Colossians 1, verse 12 through 14. Colossians 1, verses 12 through 14. Giving thanks to the Father who has... I tell you, these epistles sometimes, you read it and you, just can, you can hardly stay in your skin. You know, it's, it's almost like you get ready to take a rapture drill or something. But listen to this. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. Now, now, do you understand what that means? That means your qualification to receive the blessings of God into your life isn't dependent upon you. It's dependent upon what Jesus has done in your life, who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us. Everybody say, I'm delivered. delivered. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed, conveyed conveyed us into the kingdom of His Son, the Son of His love. And so we've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and we've been translated or transferred into the kingdom of light. Remember, I've talked with you in the past about how God never takes you out without intending to take you in. When God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, His intent was never for them to wander around in a wilderness for 40 years. His will was to take them in to the promised land. It was just a couple days' journey. But it took them 40 years. And the reason it took them 40 years was because of unbelief. Oftentimes in the church, we see people coming out of the darkness. But they wander in the wilderness. They don't know who they are. They don't know what belongs to them. They don't really know what Jesus has truly done for them. Because they haven't entered into the light. I don't want to wander in the wilderness. I don't want you to wander in the wilderness. Realize something. God brought you out of darkness to take you into the light. And the light is what reveals to us everything that Jesus has done for us. People that don't realize that they've been healed by the stripes of Jesus, they haven't seen the light. People that don't realize that God wants to meet every one of their needs according to His riches and glory through Christ Jesus haven't entered into the light. Those that haven't realized that Jesus, who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, that we've been set free from all oppression, they have not entered into the light. Those that don't realize what have been imparted into their life through the completed works of Jesus have never entered into the light. They may be saved, they've come out of the darkness, but they've not entered into the light. And so they pull, they're constantly pulled between darkness and light because they're in limbo. They're nowhere. You know, I I know there's a certain, certain group of Christians that believe that certain ones that when they, they die, they enter into limbo. No, that's where a lot of Christians are before they die. They're in limbo. They don't know right from wrong. They don't know where they're headed. Because they don't realize what Jesus has truly done and accomplished for them. We need to know 
Amen? Amen. Not just have an idea. Well, I think maybe Jesus died for my sins. No, 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 no. Jesus died for your sins. You need to know that. You need to be assured of that. You say, well, you know, Pastor, we know that. But do you know the rest of what Jesus has done for you? Do you realize that he took stripes so that you could be whole? Do you realize he became poor, that you could be rich? Do you realize that he was bound so that you could be set free? Do you realize that he went to hell so that hell would no longer have a voice in your life? So that we can walk in wholeness, so that we can walk in freedom. That's what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. We're redeemed through Christ. Let's, let's turn over to Romans, the third chapter. Romans, the third chapter. And the 21st verse. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, was re is revealed. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For as there is no difference, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No exception. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God sent forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. If you have faith in Jesus, the just one, he justifies you. And you know, it's an interesting thing about that word just. One of the definitions of it, to be justified, is just as if you've never sinned. Think about that. God looks upon you, and when He sees you, it's just as if you've never sinned. That means you have a clean slate in Christ Jesus. Truly old things have passed away. Only all things have become new. To sin means to miss the mark. Those areas where we've missed the mark, and we all have, amen? Well, I'll just raise my hand for everybody so we don't have to have a prayer line for liars at the end of the service. We've all missed the mark. But you know what? He doesn't see it. He doesn't look upon that. He looks upon our new nature. He looks upon our spirit man. He sees what nobody else sees. People around us, judges, people around us look down upon us. People around remember. But he says, it's the past. It's gone. And see, the thing that I want us to see is we need to come back to that place of appreciation for what Jesus has truly done for us. Because I think we forget about it. And when we begin to forget about it, we lose sight of what truly belongs to us in Christ Jesus. In Galatians 3.13, I already read it, 13 and 14, but I want to read it again, and this time I want to read it out of the Amplified. Christ purchased our freedom, redeeming us from the curse, doom of the law, and its condemnation by himself, becoming a curse for us, for it is written in the Scriptures, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree is crucified to the end that through their receiving Christ Jesus, the blessing promised to Abraham 
might come unto the Gentiles, so that we through faith might all receive the recognition of the promise of the Holy Spirit. So what does it do? It opens the door for the Holy Spirit to come into our life. Number one, that through the Holy Spirit, we might be born again, that we might be new creations. But then that we might be in a position where the Holy Spirit can move through our lives to guide us, to direct our paths, to show us the way. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. There's no other way to the Father but through Him. And once again, to remind you, to be redeemed. Redeemed means to receive the recipient of a ransom. It's another definition for it. You've been ransomed. You've been bought back. The enemy took you through lies and deception. But he bought you back. You have a home. You have a place in Jesus. Let me read Titus 2, verse 14 to you. It's out of the Amplified. Who gave himself, talking about Jesus, who gave himself on our behalf that he might redeem us, purchase our freedom from all iniquity, and purify for himself a people to be peculiarly his own, people who are eager and enthusiastic about living a life that is good and filled with beneficial deeds. That's why Jesus came. That's why he gave his life, to purchase you and I back. The enemy wants to tell us our sins are big. He wants to tell us that our sins are bigger than grace. But I'm here to tell you this morning that the grace of God is bigger than any sin that you and I have ever committed. God's grace is sufficient. And you know, the moment that we lose sight of that, the moment we lose sight of that, we begin to lose our victory. We begin to fall back into bondage. We begin to fall back into that place where the things of this world are going to dominate and control us. Because we begin to get our eyes off of Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Isn't it interesting? It doesn't just simply say that Jesus is the author of our faith. It says that Jesus is the perfecter of our faith. And what that means is no amount of change in behavior will ever perfect our faith. But as Jesus grows bigger and bigger on the inside of us, it will manifest on the outside. And we will demonstrate his bigness in our lives. But see, we begin to want to do it on our own. Oh yeah, I know I'm saved by grace. I remember hearing a preacher say this one time. Can't believe a preacher could be this stupid. But I heard a preacher say this one time. We're saved by grace and everything else we get, we got to work for it. I'm saved by grace. I'm healed by grace. I'm blessed by grace. I prosper by grace. I'm standing before you this morning because of the grace of God. My marriage was restored by grace. My children did not rebel because of grace. My grandchildren serve God today because of the grace of God. Did you get the hint? It's the grace of God. We begin and we end our life with the grace of God. When I pass over to the other side, it's a lot closer than it used to be. But when I pass over to the other side, it's not going to be because of anything that I've done. It'll be because I've stayed true to the end because of the grace of God. And so it's the grace of God that I have a home in heaven. It's the grace of God that I'm going to go and I'm going to meet Jesus and I'm going to see him face to face. It's the grace of God that I'm going to have audience with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and in the other, all the other patriarchs of the faith. It's by grace that I'm going to have fellowship once again with my Father in heaven. It's the grace of God. It's nothing that I've done. It's what Jesus has done. All that I've done in the midst of all of it is stop rejecting him and begin to accept by faith, 
what he says in his word. And see, that's why faith and grace go hand in hand with one another. Grace is God's part, but faith is how we appropriate it in our life. God says, I died for your sins. Faith says, I believe what your word says. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Grace says, by the stripes of Jesus, you've been healed. Faith says, I believe what you say in your word, and I receive it for myself. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. It's nothing that I've done, but simply receive what Jesus has already accomplished for me. And that's what this is talking about. This is what I want you to see today. You are redeemed. You have redemption. But it isn't because you're so wonderful. It's because Jesus is so wonderful. And because Jesus is so wonderful and he lives big on the inside of us, it changes us. And people see something that they can hardly recognize because of the new one, because of who we are. Christ ended the law of Moses by becoming the perfect sacrifice for sin. We don't hate, we don't despise the law. It just no longer has a purpose for you and I as believers because the perfect sacrifice has been made. The perfect sacrifice is Jesus. Why in the world do we need the blood of bulls and goats when we have the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice which was made once for all time to cover every sin of every man, past, present, and future. Jesus did it all. He isn't coming back to make another sacrifice. He's coming back to receive those who belong to him. And if we're alive, in a twinkling of an eye, we're going we're to be with him. If we've been planted, and Aaron's performed his ceremony over me, it's going to be... All my elements come together. And I'm going to be with him in the air. In fact, I'm older than some, most, I'm older than just about everybody in here. I'm not looking at you, Joe. <clears throat> so I'm, I'm probably going to be up there quicker than the majority of you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, pastor, isn't it kind of hard to talk about those things? No. I'm ready. Maybe not today, but I'm ready. May I digress, regress, digress? digress? I, I'm from Minnesota. There was this evangelist. He came into this bar and he, he started preaching. And he proclaims and he says, everybody that wants to go to heaven, raise your hand. Everybody raise their hand but one guy. So he preached it again. He says, everybody that wants to go to heaven, raise your hand. Everybody in place did but the one guy again. He got frustrated and walked over to him and he says, don't you want to go to heaven? He says, oh yeah, I thought you were taking up a load now. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, you know what? I think if he was taking up a load now, I'd be first in line. I'm ready. I'm ready to meet Jesus face to face. Well, Pastor, I know you ain't been perfect. Amen. I'm so glad it isn't dependent upon me. It's dependent upon Jesus. The Bible says that we have, in that day, we have no fear of judgment. Why? Because we know what Jesus has already done for us. Hallelujah. Glory to God. 1 Peter 1 18 and 19. Amplified. You must know. <clears throat> you know, I know as grace preachers, we're not supposed to, you need to, or you must, or you have to. But you know what? If Peter can say it, I can say it. 
Peter says, now you must know, recognize that you are redeemed, ransomed from this useless, fruitless way of life inherited by the traditions from your forefathers. Not with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but you were purchased with the precious blood of Christ the Messiah, like that of the sacrificial lamb without blemish or spot. You must know, you must recognize something. You and I, we must see what Jesus has truly done for us, that he has redeemed us, that he has ransomed us, that he has bought us back, that we're no longer our own. We belong to Christ Jesus. We are His. And He directs our path. And when we have confidence in that, we recognize that when He directs our paths, it will always lead to success. His path will always lead to victory. It will never lead us to defeat. Now sometimes in our walk it looks like it's the feet ahead of us. The psalmist says, Yea, through I walk, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. There's times in our life that it looks hopeless. There's times in our life it looks like we can't make it through. There's no way out. But he says he's going to be right there in the midst with us in the valley to take us through. You know what the key is when you're going through a valley in your life? Don't stop. Continue through. Because there's always light. There's always victory on the other side. And what we don't realize oftentimes, even when we're in the midst of the valley, the light is still shining. There's just a shadow there. We just have to get beyond that shadow and we'll see the hope. We'll see what truly belongs to us through Christ Jesus. No amount of gold, no amount of silver, no amount of bloody, shedding the blood of animals is going to pay the price. It's going to ransom us back. It's all Jesus. It's what he's done for us. First Timothy the second chapter, 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. For there is one God. Everybody say, one God. Once again, the world would try to tell us there's, there's multiple gods. There's many ways to heaven. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Well, pastor, you're just narrow-minded. You better believe it. Narrow is the way that leads to life. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. There is one way of eternal life, and that's through Jesus Christ, through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. There's one God. There's one mediator between God and man. The, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself. Notice, Notice how much it talks about how Jesus gave himself as a ransom for you and I so that we wouldn't have to pay the price. Because we couldn't. We're incapable of doing it because we would never be a sacrifice that would be sufficient. That's why without Jesus, we are completely lost. Because without Jesus, there is no sacrifice that is great enough to wipe away the sins that you and I have committed and to put us back into harmony, relationship with Jesus. Who gave himself a ransom for us to be testified in due time. What do you testify to? The things you see around you? The world we live in, the influence that it has in our life. 
Or do we testify to the fact that Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus was raised from the dead for me? And all that I have, all that I am, is a direct result of Jesus' grace at work in my life. In the Gospel of Luke, the eighth chapter, I'm going to begin reading in the first verse. Now it came to pass, after that, after that, he went through every city and village, preaching and bringing glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, I don't know how you pronounce it, Herod's steward, Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. So here are these, his 12, they're following him around. But you know, it's interesting it isn't just the 12, there's others. And I think it's so interesting that he names these particular women that were with him. Because every one of these women that were with him had a sordid past. Mary Magdalene, he cast seven devils out of her. You know, one of the ladies that followed him around had been a prostitute, accused of, of sleeping with, uh, with individuals. And it was Jesus who took her aside and said, he who is without sin cast the first stone. Jesus was unwilling to cast a stone. He just simply said, go and, and sin no more. And so here these women are with Jesus. The thing that I want you to see is Adam's, man's one act of disobedience was overridden by Jesus' one act of obedience. The disobedience of man was overcome by the obedience of Jesus. And so we look around us and we, we, we live in a world that is horrible, I don't know about you, <clears throat> I can't hardly stand to watch the news because of the negativity, because of all the stuff that's occurring in the world that is evil, wicked, demon-inspired. I believe it. But all of that evil, all of that disobedience is overcome by one man's obedience, Jesus. You can take the worst of the worst, and if they will turn their heart to Jesus, if they'll look to Jesus and they'll say, I've sinned, I've, I've failed, I've come short of your glory. Forgive me. And God's response is never, no, you're too wicked. His response is always, the blood of Jesus is sufficient. The blood of Jesus was sufficient to pay the price to remove the sin that was in my life. It wasn't because of my actions. It was because of Jesus. Let's go back to 1 Timothy again. The second chapter, the 14th verse. And Aben, Adam, Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived fell into temptation, or fell into transgression. 
Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness, and self-control. But notice who it's talking about. It's talking to both Adam, concerning Adam, and it's talking also about concerning Eve. And you know what's interesting? I don't understand women. Fifty years with that woman. But I don't understand it. Amen. I, I, I don't. But this is what I don't understand about women. Above everything else that I don't understand about women. Why would a woman not want to be a Christian? It's the one religion, if we want to call it a religion, that gives women their proper place. We hear all this about women's suffrage in the world. It's in the church. Now, I've got to be honest, not every church. But within the church, the woman is restored to her proper position. Pastor, what's that proper position? A son of God. You say, well, you know, it couldn't be son, should be a daughter. But if you study that in the Greek, you find where it talks about us being a son of God, there's no gender. And so that means God has male and female sons. And the significance of that is we're, we're on the same plane. We're equal with one another. And all the women say, oh, glory to God, I can tell that old fool to take a hot. I'm not saying that. Because in the kingdom of God, there's also authority. And authority isn't based upon position. It's based upon assignment and call and responsibility given. I'm not called to pastor this church because I have a higher position. I'm called to pastor this church because of the grace of God. I'm not called to be the head of my household because I have a higher position. I'm called to be head of our, our household because of the grace of God. You men... You're not called to be the head of your household because you're beggar and you're able to push around and carry out your authority. You're called to be the head of the household because of the anointing of God, because of the grace of God, so that you can lead your household. You're not a... Well, I'm, not, I'm trying to decide if Justin's going to be irritated with me. <clears throat> you're, you're not a cattle rancher. You're a shepherd. You don't drive sheep. You lead them. And I've always said this concerning fathers. You don't have a right to discipline your children until you've discipled your children. And discipling isn't telling somebody what to do is showing somebody what to do. Well, thank you for that rousing amen. Well, that's right. Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Good job, Pastor Dave. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Hallelujah. Where are these guys that said before church they were going to shout me down? You know, so anyway. Listen to this. You know, all of this that we talked about concerning relationship with women and so forth, all of that changed. Isn't it interesting? The deception that came against Eve 
was corrected because Mary, the mother of Jesus, chose to be obedient. When the plan was presented to her, let it be unto me according to your will. That should have been Eve's response in the garden. Father, what's your will concerning this situation? He would have said, don't eat that stupid fruit. She would say, get behind me, Satan. And so God is a restorer. He's not a destroyer. Listen to this out of Genesis, the third chapter. I, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. 14th, Genesis, the third chapter, the 14th verse. And so God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman and said, I will greatly multiply your, uh, your sorrow and your conception in pain. You shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. With, uh, then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat, curse the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat it uh, all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field in the sweat, <clears throat> in the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust, uh, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Now, the thing about Scripture is you, you study it in context. And so that means you can't take certain Scripture out of context and uh, say, well, I'm going to believe this part of it, but I'm not going to believe this part of it. And <clears throat> I've seen Mike's fields. I've seen Justin's fields. And uh, they're not full of thorns and thistles. Because they're, they're redeemed from the curse. I've, uh, a few years ago when we were doing the landscaping out here, Mike let us use one of his tractors. And, you know, I grew up in a, uh, working in the fields with a B. John Deere with a metal seat and a throw clutch. And uh, I got into that tractor of his and uh, it was nice. I mean, it had a padded seat that adjusted, and when you hit a bump, you just floated over that bump. And, you know, it had no throw clutch. You just stepped on a clutch like you were driving a car, or, you know, and, uh, you know, and uh, it had a, uh, uh, what do you call it, topper case thing, and cab, and... Uh, it started raining out, and I just kept going and turned the windshield wiper on. And, and I, I thought, where was this sucker when I was 16 years old? I didn't sweat. Why? Because man is redeemed. Let me tell you something. Woman is redeemed. Amen? You know, when our first was born, I just about missed it because I was parking the car. You know, it was just kind of, there it was. And Becky says it wasn't that easy, but, <clears throat> you know, it had to be close. And so, we don't believe for hard pregnancies. Amen? 
Because the enemy has no right. Because we've overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of the testimony. And he's not only redeemed man, he's redeemed woman. And he's put woman in her proper place. <laughs> oh, pastor, put your wife in her, in her proper place. You know, remember? Remember when King somebody uh, had, had this big party and had all the important people around and uh, uh, had his, uh, wanted, wanted to show off his queen. And so he said to his number one steward, go get Queenie. And so he goes to get her and she didn't want to come in because she didn't feel like strutting in front of all those guys. And so the guys came and talked to the king and said, you know, you need to do something about Queenie because she set a bad example and everybody else is going to follow this example and we're going to have trouble with our our wives if you don't do something about it. So you know what he did? He dequeened her. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it works for me. You, you can tell people that have, are theologically sound, they didn't think that was quite proper terminology. But she was the queen. She wasn't the queen anymore. You know, and, and they convinced her by convinced him by saying, we'll bring in all the young virgins from the land and you can choose from him. Ooh, sounds like a good idea. But see, that's the position that woman had, but she's been restored to her proper place. The Bible says there's no longer male or female, there's no longer bound and slave, there's no longer, you know, all the separations in Christ Jesus are broken down. If we are in Christ Jesus, it doesn't matter what our heritage is. It doesn't matter what our background is. It doesn't matter what our sex is. It doesn't matter. We are one in Christ Jesus. If we could just see beyond all of our prejudices, Jesus came. Jesus died. Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Jesus is coming back. And he did it all to make us one. I've got some more scriptures, but you'll get them someday. In Isaiah 61, it speaks of the day of Jubilee. The day of Jubilee is a day that everything that has been taken from you has been restored from you. No matter whether you sold it, no matter whether somebody took it, whatever it may be, you lost it. We all lost it. But the day of Jubilee isn't coming. The day of Jubilee has arrived. And that day arrived when Jesus was raised from the dead. Because everything that had been stolen from us has been restored. It was restored through the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ Jesus. He's our hope. He's the one that we look to. He's the one that we rely on. And you know what the Bible says? We'll never fall short. You know, it's interesting. We, we take note of the point that when Jesus was raised from the dead, the scripture says, go tell the disciples and go tell Peter of his resurrection. Why, why would he bring up Peter? Because Peter was the one that denied him three times. And he wanted Peter to know that his death and resurrection was sufficient to restore Peter to fellowship and harmony. But isn't it interesting, prior to that, Jesus, the first human being that he revealed himself to his Mary Magdalene. 
the woman of whom seven demons were cast out. And Jesus is making a statement, I believe. And he's saying, whatever your sin, whatever your shortcoming, whatever you've done, male or female, what I've done is sufficient to restore you back to that proper place when he says, I create man, male and female, and I give them dominion over the earth. It's not restored to half of us. It's restored to all of us in Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad? Hallelujah. Well, Father, we thank you. We give you praise. We give you honor. We give glory because it all belongs to you. We thank you, Father, that through you, through Christ Jesus, absolutely nothing is impossible. And Father, we're so grateful that Jesus is seated at your right hand because it reminds us that he sent the Holy Spirit because he is true to his word. And that Holy Spirit lives within each and every one of us to guide us, to direct us, to reveal truth to us, that we might walk in the fullness of what you've provided for us. And so, Father, we give you all the praise, all the honor, all the glory, because you're worthy of it all. We declare that you are our Lord, our Master, our Savior. And we reaffirm today that we choose in everything that we do and everything that we say that it might lift you up and that you might be glorified and that we might be those vessels that serve you without question because we trust you completely. And so, Father, we declare it. We thank you for it. We do it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And so as you go, go in his peace, go in his strength, go in his love, go in the name of the Father, the Son, in the magnificent name of Jesus. Amen. And give somebody a hug and let them know you love them. Be blessed. Have a great week.